So my health story kind of begins when I was about seven years old. Um, that was kind of a crazy year. I started having problems with my eyes. So my left eye was really watering um, really bad. Just It was leaking, like I was crying all the time, even though I wasn't crying. So just really strange. Um, I actually saw seven different doctors for that. And we were at the eye doctor when um, the lights were all down in the room and he was doing an eye exam. And he stopped in the middle and um, turned to my mom. And he said, Miss Emery, you need to go to the hospital right away. Your daughter has a tumor behind her eye and needs immediate attention. So we got in the car and we drove to the hospital. And that's kind of where it all began. It was not a tumor behind the eye, that my sinuses were just extremely inflamed, extremely infected, and there was something going on besides just your average sinus infection. So he decided to schedule surgery. Um, I got CT scans, MRIs, got the full work, and we scheduled a surgery, and I had my first surgery right after I turned eight years old. Knowing that there's no cure, it's, it's different. So after I found out that this was what I had. Um, Dr. Morante said something that I will never forget. He said, Haley, sweetheart, I will be at your wedding. And that kind of, you know, even at seven years old, you kind of know like, okay, I'm getting married a really long time from now. So obviously he's gonna be in my life. And um, I continue to see him every single week. And um, just, it was different. I kind of had to put on my big girl pants and just realized that doctor's offices and lab work and medicines was gonna be part of my life now. Sometimes when I would have those headaches that were debilitating and I was just had to go lay down, you know, it was just frustrating. It's like, there's things that I wanted to do and places I wanted to go and I couldn't. I get chronic headaches from the infection, the inflammation, the, um, my left eye was, the reason it was watering so much was the sinuses were actually pushing it out of its normal orbit. So I, my vision is totally screwed up. So I get a lot of really bad headaches and headaches are the worst. And it became very normal for me to have one every day. So since I was seven, I've had, I believe it's 20 surgeries, give or take. I lost count after like six. <laughs> So what do you do when you find yourself in a situation like Haley's? What do you do when, when you find yourself with this incurable situation? And if you're not familiar with Haley, she's one of our worship team members. And for most of her life, she's battled this issue, this incurable condition. And it's nothing that she's done wrong, nothing that her family's done wrong. She just has found herself in the spot. What do you do when you just find yourself in a spot like that? Like maybe there's this health issue in your world or, or somebody that you love, there's a health issue for them and it, it's nothing they've done wrong, it's just something that's come along. What do you do if maybe you get a letter that says you need to leave your home because you're being evicted? What do you do in a situation like that? What do you do when you get a phone call and, and the person on the other line says something about a family member who's passed away, like tragically? What do you do in a difficult situation like that? If you're new with us, we're in part two of a series called Hopeless. And in this series, we're trying to answer this one question. And the question is, what 
does God want us to do? When we find ourselves in those situations that seem hopeless, and the reality for all of us is that all of us will face a hopeless situation in our lives if we haven't. If you haven't experienced one of those yet, you will. Could be a year from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now. But at some point in your life, you're going to face a hopeless situation because hopeless situations don't care how much money you have. They don't care how many letters you have behind your name. They don't, they don't care how many Bible verses you know. They don't care how long you've been to church, you've never been to church. Hopeless situations find all of us. The great thing about a relationship with God is that with God, nothing is ever hopeless. Nothing. There's no medical issue that's hopeless. There's no relationship issue. There's no financial issue that's hopeless. With God, there's always hope. And we're going to see that today in a really big way as we look at our Bible story. Our Bible story is found in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. So if you have a Bible with you, um, flip over. It's in the Old Testament part of the Bible. Um, and if it's your Bible, it might be the pages that are kind of stuck together, okay? The kind of the crusty pages that maybe haven't been turned a lot because a lot of people don't spend a whole lot of time back in the Old Testament part of the Bible. If you need a Bible, we've got Bibles in the back of each seating section, so feel free to, to grab one of those. If you've got a Bible app on your phone, feel free to, to use that as well. Now, let me tell you uh, who we're going to see in this story so the story centers around a king of the kingdom of Judah. And his name is this really kind of fun name. It's Jehoshaphat. Isn't that a super fun name? You know, if you're looking for a name for your kid that you don't want anybody else to have that name, like you want them to stand out alone. I got the only name. Well, there's one other guy. He's in the Old Testament. Uh, but nobody else has that name. There's a name for you. All right, so here's a way to remember Jehoshaphat. Okay, so think of this. Jehoshaphat was fat before fat was cool. To <laughs> get it, his last name is, or his name is P-H-A-T, the last four letters. All right, so that's an example of one of those corny jokes that Carla was talking about in the announcements. If you need to take your kids to our family zone right now because they can't tolerate jokes like that, feel free to do that. So Jehoshaphat was king of the kingdom of Judah, and he was the fourth king of that kingdom. And if we go back in history a little bit prior to before this time, he lived around 873 BC, so almost 3,000 years ago. And then if you go back a little bit farther in Jewish history, you understand that Israel was one nation under one king, and that was King Solomon. But what happened in Solomon's life was he disobeyed God. When he disobeyed God, God said, listen, this is what's going to happen. Because of your disobedience, it's not going to happen to you. It's going to happen to your kid. I'm going to allow your kingdom to be torn in two. So there's going to be two kingdoms, the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. Okay, so Jehoshaphat was king of the kingdom of Judah. He was number four in the line of that. Now, in the line of kings in Israel and in Judah, there was the spectrum of kings. So there were really great kings, and then there were some really bad kings, some terrible kings. And then there was this kind of continuum between that, and there were some that were, were not as bad. There were some that were not as great, that, that were actually good. Jehoshaphat actually falls kind of in the good kingdom category, good king category. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 32 says this about him. He was a good king following the ways of his father, Asa. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight. During his reign, however, 
He failed to remove all the pagan shrines, and the people never fully committed themselves to follow the God of their ancestors. So that's kind of one of the things that kept him from becoming a great king. So in his kingdom, there were people who worshiped other gods. And God told the Israelites when he brought them out of 400 years of slavery and started a new relationship with them, he said, listen, I am your God. You are to worship one God and one God only, and that is me. And so when Jehoshaphat took the kingdom over, he had the opportunity to go around and inspect his kingdom and take out everything, every shrine, every altar, every temple to any other God, but he failed to do that. He took out a lot of them, but he failed to take out all of them. So our first application for us is the question, are you a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ? Or are you a mostly devoted follower of Jesus Christ? Is there like 10% of your life where you're like, God, like you can be in control of 90%. But 10%, like, that's mine. Like, I'm going to keep doing what I want to do. There's a few things I like to do. Maybe there's a relationship I like to have. I know maybe, God, that that you're not all that happy about it, but I I really like this, so I'm going to hold on to that. I'll give you 80%, 90% of my life. I'll go to church. I'll serve. I'll give money. I'll do whatever you want me to do in that context. But there's a portion that I'm just going to hold on for myself. Is that true in your world? Is that true in my world? Listen, our relationship with God, God says the same thing. If you're a follower of Jesus, he says, listen, I'm, I'm after you being a fully devoted follower of mine, not a mostly devoted follower. Not where you can say like, hey, I like 80% follow you. Look at me. Or I 90% follow you. What God is after is all of our hearts. He wants all of it. So are you a mostly devoted follower? Are you a fully devoted follower? Now, the thing that we're really going to explore today in Jehoshaphat's life is, is one of the good things that he did in this moment. And there's actually kind of a, a double-sided coin with this one that, that we'll look at in just a minute. We're going to start in verse 1. So Second Chronicles chapter 20, starting in verse 1, it says this. After this, the armies of the Moabites, the Ammonites, and some of the Meunites declared war on Jehoshaphat. Messengers came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army from Edom is marching against you from beyond the Dead Sea. They are already at Hazazon Tamar, and this is another name for En Gedi. Now, on the screen is going to come a picture, so I want you to get kind of an idea of the landscape, a map of of that area, and um, this is really kind of a neat environment, because for some of us, we had the opportunity to go to Israel back in January, and so we kind of have this mental picture of what it's like. I got to walk through En Gedi, at least parts of En Gedi. I got to see that, and just amazing history there. So this is kind of a picture of that. You see, you've got the Dead Sea right there in the middle. You've got to the west of that, you have En Gedi. So it's kind of a desert environment, a lot of mountains. Uh, there's actually a small waterfall that, that falls there. It's actually a place that King David hid from King Saul. If you know David's story, it's just, in Gettys, a place that he hid from Saul you know, years prior to this. And if you look to the northwest, you'll see Jerusalem. So that is where Jehoshaphat was at. So he's in Jerusalem and he gets this word that there's this vast army from Edom. Now, the mountains of Edom are on the east side of the Dead Sea. 
So these armies, these three groups of people, they're coming to defeat uh, Judah in this moment. They've crossed uh, the, probably the lower part of the Dead Sea. They're coming up through En Gedi, and they're headed to Jerusalem. It's probably about a 13 to 15 hour hike from there as they're coming up through the mountains. A little bit treacherous terrain right there, um, but not exactly sure how long it would take to get there and how long it would take to move that, that many people through that. But it's not a lot of time. So this is the, the, the phone call that he gets like, hey, they'll be here in under 24 hours. So we better get ready. So verse um, three says this, this is uh, his reaction. Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news and begged the Lord for guidance. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. So people from all of the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord's help. Now, this is another one of those things that made Jehoshaphat a good king, but it kept him from becoming a great king. He was really good at turning to God in hopeless situations. When there was nothing else he could do, when the armories were coming, he got the phone call, you got under 24 hours, maybe 15 hours, and they're going to be here. What else can you do? They way outnumber us. Like there, there's nothing more than you can do, King Jehoshaphat. He was really good at turning to God for help in those moments. But he wasn't that great at turning to God in just normal situations. And there were several scenarios where he didn't turn to God for help. And in one specifically, he almost lost his life because of that. So the second question is, I'm reading his story and I think about for us and for me is, are we really good at turning to God in desperate moments, but not so good at turning to God in every moment? And I'll be honest and say, I'm not great at turning to God in every moment. I'm really good at turning to God in desperate moments. You know, when I've done everything I can, I've done all my praying, I've done, like, I've done all the fixing, I've pro you know, fought as much as I could, I've problem solved as much as I could, I've done as much action as I can possibly do, and, and then if none of that works, I'm great at going, God, I guess you're all I have left. I've done everything I know to do. Now, will you show up and do something supernatural? I'm expecting you to do something great. But I think God wants us to learn how to turn to him in every situation not just desperate situations. So do you do that? Do I do that? Do we turn to God in, in every moment? Say, God, like, I want to turn to you for help and guidance today. Like, I'm going to give you the day. I'm going to start my day with you. Let you guide me through it. Like, I, I, again, I think a lot of us are really good at just charging into things. And then when we've done everything we can and there's nothing else to do but maybe pray, maybe turn to God, we do that. But God says, I want you to turn to me way before that. So how are you doing at that? One of the things that King Jehoshaphat ordered his kingdom to do was a really good thing for us to do, and it's this thing called fasting. So he said, all right, everybody, it is time for us to fast. It's time for us to beg God for help. Now, if you're new to the whole concept of fasting, let me just explain what it is. It's a spiritual discipline that has been practiced for thousands of years, and it's the practice of setting aside food in some amount, for some specific uh, period of time, for spiritual purposes. And uh, I know it can like, sound weird, especially if you're new to it. It's like, why would anybody ever want to do that unless a doctor said, hey, we need you to, to fast before the blood work that we're going to do for this specific test. Why would anybody want to do that? Well, there are many examples of people in the Bible fasting for different reasons. So listen to some of those examples. Moses 
fasted for 40 days and received the 10 commandments from God. So this is at the beginning of, of God teaching him how to lead this new nation, the, the Israelites who came out of 400 years of slavery. They didn't even know how to be in a relationship with God. And that's where Moses got the 10 commandments. The king of Nineveh ordered his people to fast and pray and repent after they were confronted by the prophet Jonah. Then Esther urged the, the Jews to fast when it looked like they were gonna be wiped off the planet. There was a day that they were all gonna die unless God intervened and did something unique in their situation. David fasted after hearing that King Saul and, and Jonathan had died in battle. He spent some time fasting and grief and mourning for the king and his best friend. And Jesus fasted for 40 days at the beginning of his ministry on planet earth. Paul and Barnabas fasted and prayed before anointing elders at the churches that they had established. So there are many uh, reasons that we may want to engage a fast. And if you're in one of those difficult moments, one of those situations that seems hopeless, I strongly recommend and, and th at those times that you experiment with the spiritual discipline of fasting. Maybe you're in a relationship that's falling apart and you don't know how to fix it and you don't know what to do. Maybe there's a health issue. Maybe there's a, a financial issue, a job issue, like any kind of issue. If you're in one of those issues and you're like, God, like I don't know what to do. Fasting can be one of those great things for you to do. Now, if you're new to fasting, you're not exactly sure how to do that, I would recommend you go to our website, theepicchurch.com. Under our resources tab, there is a, a document entitled The Fasting Preparation Guide. And so in the life of our church, we've started every January with a fast. And uh, if you're interested in learning how to fast, how that can benefit your life, then I encourage you to go to our website and read that. I've fasted on, on a number of occasions uh, in my life for multiple reasons. And I, I have to say, like, God has always taught me valuable lessons as I have fasted. I can't say it's been the easiest thing I've ever done. Um, it, it's a challenge. It, it can stretch us. But when we get in those moments where we're saying, God, like I am desperate. I'm desperate for you to work. I think that's a perfect time for, for us to engage fasting. And, and here's kind of the context of what we're saying to God. God, I am so desperate. You are more important to me. Hearing from you, watching you work, however you want to work is more important to me than food. You're, you're more important to me because you sustain me spiritually. You sustain my soul. You sustain me for eternity. You're more important than what sustains me physically now in this moment. So if you find yourself in one of those spots, maybe one of the things you should do is fast and pray. So that's what King Jehoshaphat ordered his people to do. And then he stood before the temple and he prayed this prayer. Listen to his prayer in verse six. Verse six, he says, O Lord, God of our ancestors, you alone are the God who is in heaven. You are ruler of all the kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful and mighty. No one can stand against you. O our God, did you not drive out those who lived in this land when your people Israel arrived? And did you not give this land forever to the descendants of your friend Abraham? Your people settled here and built this temple to honor your name. They said, Where, whenever we are faced with any calamity, such as war, plague, or, or famine, we can come and stand in your presence before this temple where your name is honored. We can cry out to you to save us, and you will hear us and rescue us. And now see what the armies of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir are doing. 
You would not let our ancestors invade those nations when Israel left Egypt. So they went around them and did not destroy them. Now see how they reward us. For they have come to throw us out of your land, which you gave us as an inheritance. Oh, our God, won't you stop them? We are powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. We do not know what to do, but we are looking to you for help. So King Jehoshaphat did several things in that prayer. So first he starts off by praising God, like, God, you are almighty. Nobody is, is more powerful than you. And then he started this conversation where he's reminding God of some things. Like, hey, God, do you remember? Like, like remember what you did, what, what you promised? You promised to, to protect us. You promised to give us this land. And now look, like, see, there's this army coming. Like, we left that army alone. We left those people alone back when we came into this land. But they're coming to kick us out now. So what are you going to do about it? And then he shifted to what I feel is one of the most honest statements, one of the most honest prayers that, that I think we should learn how to pray more often. And he said, we don't know what to do, but we're turning to you for help. I got to tell you how encouraging that is to me as a leader, as a father, as a husband. And the reason is there are moments that I don't know what to do. Anybody else ever find yourself in that spot? I, I, I think all of us find ourselves in that spot. All of us find ourselves in a, in a moment where we go, I'm not exactly sure what to do. So I think we need to learn how to pray that prayer more often. I think we need to learn how to be more honest with ourselves and other people. And sometimes I think we're afraid to say that, especially if you're in a leadership role. I think leaders sometimes are afraid to say that. If I say, like, I don't know what to do, then people go, well, you're not in control. I'm not following you. Like, you, like who would follow somebody who doesn't know what they're doing? But I do think there are some real moments that it is very appropriate for us to say, I'm not exactly sure what to do, but, and then we fill in the rest of it. What's, what's after that? What's after that is, but I'm turning to God for help. I'm turning to God. I'm, I'm not gonna stay in this spot where I don't know what to do forever. I'm gonna turn to God for help. I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna fast. I'm gonna read scripture. I'm gonna turn to wise counsel to give me the help that I need. I think that's so incredibly important for us to do. So when you find yourself in one of those spots where you're not exactly sure what to do, what do you do? You turn to some self-help books? Do you turn to, to people that, to give you advice that, that may not give you godly advice? Where do you turn in those moments? Do you spend time praying? Or is that the last thing that you think of doing? So I think there are some very appropriate moments where we should say, I'm not exactly sure what to do, but I'm gonna turn to God for help. I'm gonna to turn to him, I'm gonna fast, I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna find this answer. And when I find this answer, when God speaks to me, I'm gonna do what God has asked me to do. Can you imagine if one of our political leaders did that? <gasps> like I know, separation of church and state, we're never supposed to do that, that'd be horrible, right? But can you imagine? Imagine if a political leader stood up and was honest and said, I'm not, not exactly sure what to do, but I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna fast and I'm gonna to turn to God for help. I'm going to read scripture. I'm going to get God's wisdom in that. And I know I'm like, I'm like stepping all over some people's toes right now. But in the context of us honoring God and God honoring us, like imagine what might happen in our world, in our nation, if we had leaders that did that. Imagine if you did that in your life. Imagine if you did that with your family, maybe with your friends, maybe in your, your role at work. Imagine if you were just honest and said, I'm not exactly sure what to do, but... I'm going to pray. I'm going to fast. 
I'm going to talk to God. I'm going to read scripture. I'm going to seek wise counsel. And then when God speaks and lets me know what, what he wants me to do, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. I think we need to learn how to do that more often. So Jehoshaphat was, was honest, and then God provided him some help. And look at how he did that. In verse 15, God spoke through a man named Jehaziel. And the Holy Spirit filled Jehaziel, and, and, and he speaks this word of encouragement to the king and to the nation. He says this, listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem, listen, King Jehoshaphat, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged by this mighty army for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march out against them. You will find them coming up through the ascent of Ziz at the end of the valley that opens into the wilderness, but you will not even need to fight. Take your positions, then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you, O people of Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them, for the Lord is with you. Now, after hearing this, the king did something kind of unusual. The king bowed in worship to God. And the people of Judah bowed in worship to God. Then the religious leader stood up in praise to God. Now, when I read stories like that in the Bible, I, I start wondering, like, why, why would you do that then? That, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. When I look at the chronology and the, the time frame, um, why would they pause to worship God in that moment? Like, there's still this battle out there. There's still this army that's coming, this big army that wants to, to annihilate them, wipe them off the planet. They are still out there. They'll be here in any moment. So why are we bowing to worship God and praise him? It's kind of counterintuitive that we would praise him before that happens. But I think that's the second thing that God wants us to learn how to do. Last week, we learned the first thing, and that is we got to learn how to trust God. God is completely in control. We've got to learn how to trust him, that he's going to work out his plan the way he wants to work out his plan. The second thing I think that God wants us to learn to do when we find ourselves in hopeless situations is to learn how to praise him, how to praise him before he works. And again, that's kind of counterintuitive. What I typically do in, in difficult situations or spots that I feel that are hopeless, I typically worry and then pray and then maybe fast and then read my Bible and then worry and then pray and maybe fast a little bit more and maybe read my Bible and maybe talk to some wise people to try to get some uh, clarity out of this and direction. And then maybe, did I tell you I worry a little bit sometimes? Um, so I don't know if that's kind of your scenario, but usually that's mine. Like I usually reserve my praising of God for after he works. But in this situation, what the king led his people to do was we need to praise God first. All right, and then and look, let's see what he did after that. So uh, in verse 20, he gives this, um, this king's speech to his people, you know, stand firm in your faith. You know, God's got, us, uh, under, God's got this under control. In verse 21, it says this, after consulting the people, the king appointed, what's that next word? Singers. The king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. This is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. Okay, now I want you to imagine something with me. All right, so imagine that you are one of the warriors in Judah's kingdom. Okay, so you are a seasoned warrior. 
You know you're about to go into battle. You know the odds are stacked against you. You've got this, this army that way outnumbers you. There's like really no chance statistically that you're going to come out on top and win this. You are way the underdog. And you're not going to win this. But you know you've got to fight. You've, you're used to fighting. This is what you've done most of your life. And so you've got a sword attached to your hip. Uh, you've just heard the king's brave heart speech. You know I mean? You're fired up and excited and, and, and ready to go to battle. You know that most likely you're going to die, but you're going to die. You're going to die for your family. You're going to die for your friends. You're going to die for your country. And you're going to die for your God. Okay? So you're prepared. And then you watch the king start rearranging your formation. So you're with the warriors, and out in front of the warriors, the king doesn't put the best warriors. He doesn't put the archers. He doesn't put any horsemen. What he puts out front is the worship team. Okay, no offense to the worship team. But, you know, they're out there with their microphones, their guitars, you know, their tambourines, you know, maybe some trumpets, maybe a saxophone, not exactly sure. But, you know, so they're out front. You know, so if you're a warrior, what are you thinking? I'm thinking the king has lost his mind. Like, this is not how you win a battle. Like, this is not a high school musical sing-off. This is not the voice. This is, you know, not American Idol. You know, we're not going to crown a winner here out of this. You know, they're not going to send out their best singer. We'll send out our best singer and we'll vote and see what happens. Like, no, this is a, a battle to the death. They have real weapons. They have swords. They have spears. And, and I don't think they're going to stand up against, you know, uh, we have guitars that are going to, like, they're going to cut our guitars in half. Like, I don't think this is going to work out real well. That's what I'd be thinking. And then I think God comes along and says, but your ways aren't my ways. Your plans aren't my plans. Your strategies aren't my strategies. If I put you in charge, what would you do? You'd run out, you'd send all the warriors out front, and they'd all be killed. So what I'm gonna do to prove that I am God, that I'm in complete control, is I'm gonna do something you would never do. I'm gonna send the worship team out first, and we'll see what happens. So watch what happened. Verse 22. At the very moment they began to sing and give praise the Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting among themselves. The armies of Moab and Ammon turned against their allies from Mount Seir and killed every one of them. After they had destroyed the army of Seir, they began attacking each other. So when the army of Judah arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness, all they saw were dead bodies lying on the ground as far as they could see. Not a single one of the enemy had escaped. Okay, so try to put yourself in that spot. When did God work in that verse? The moment they began to sing. The moment they began to praise God. And so I wonder, I'm not sure, but I wonder if in the heavens, God was kind of holding back his, his, his answer, how he was going to work. He was holding back to wait for that first song of praise. Are they going to praise me? Are they going to go, worship team, get out of here. We got a real battle going on here. Let's draw our swords and charge. Or are they going to follow my plan? And they're going to worship me in this moment. And just kind of envision God going, oh, sweet praise of me, the God who's above every situation. Now, go. Confuse the army. Wipe them out. So imagine, here you are. You show up as a warrior and you cross, you know, cross the edge of the outlook and you're looking into the valley and what do you see? The army's already dead. You didn't even have to draw a sword to fight this fight. And 
God did an amazing event that day. So they went out and collected the plunder. It took them three days to gather all the stuff and take it back to Jerusalem. So they went back to Jerusalem, stood before the temple, and they praised God. Do you think they praised God? Absolutely they praised God. But did they wait till after? No, they praised God before. They praised God while. And they praised God after that whole event. And sometimes God does that in our lives. Sometimes God does the supernatural. Sometimes all we have to do is stay faithful in what God wants us to do. And God brings a wayward child home. You know, we worry, we pray, but we say, God, I'm I'm trusting you with my child. I'm going to praise you. You love my child more than I could ever imagine. And sometimes God works in that and he brings that child home. Sometimes God fixes a marriage in that context. Sometimes we say like, I can't fix this person. I've been trying for 20 years or however long. And like, I can't fix him. Everything I try to do doesn't work. So God, I'm trusting you with this person. Only you can change their heart. I've watched it happen. I've seen hearts change. And it's amazing to watch. Sometimes God does that in our situations. And he gets all the glory for that. It's nothing that we can say, well, you know, I was pretty smart. You know, I pulled out my sword in that moment. I did that really cool thing. And there are moments that God goes, you can't do anything. What I need you to do is praise me. Praise me and watch me work. There are other moments where things don't turn out the way that we want them to. There are other moments where we aren't cured. There are other moments where our failing relationship keeps falling apart. There are other moments where our finances keep going south. There are other moments when that desperate situation gets worse, but not better. Here's what I think God wants us to do in those moments. I think God wants us to praise him, still praise him. You see, our praise of God should not be attached to how he works and when he works. But so often it is. And there are moments that it has been like that for me. And, you know, if you can envision it this way, um, there are moments I kind of envision God, kind of a corny illustration, but he's like the big vending machine in the sky. So I get my quarters out and I say, God, I'm going to go to church and I'm going to read my Bible and I'm going to serve and I'm going to give. And so what that means is you owe me and I'm going to push my buttons and I expect to get out of you, this machine, something that I want. And this is how I've asked you to work. Like I've asked for this specific thing. So God, this is how you should work. But our relationship with God should never be based upon waiting for God to work. Our praise of God should never be based upon that. You see how that, that sets our relationship up in this really awkward way where we say, God, I will praise you if... But if, God, you're not going to hold your end of the bargain, well, then I'm not going to praise you. What kind of a relationship is that? Imagine if that's how your kids, if you have kids, imagine if that's how they interacted with you. Mom, dad, I'll praise you if you give me what I want. If you give me the car I want, if you give me the allowance I want, the room I want, the stuff I want, I'll praise you then. But if you're not going to work the way that I want or when I want, I'm not praising you. That's a shallow relationship. I think praise is one of the ways for us to take a good relationship with God to a great relationship with God. So our our praise of God should be dependent upon who God is, not what God does. 
Again, there are moments that God shows up and does what only God can do and we are blown away. And there are other moments that God says, I'm gonna gonna still work in your life, but you're still gonna be in this spot and this spot is gonna push you to me. Will you let that happen? Will you and I let that happen? I want you to listen to Haley's second part of her story. Um, Haley's gonna tell us in the second part the power of praise and worship in her life and how she's used that to grow her relationship with God. Listen to this. Worship for me is just when I can put on my favorite song and just get lost for that five minutes, just get lost. And the world around me, my problems, my... the medicine it just doesn't matter you know and for those five minutes I can just feel like me and God are in the same room like his hands are just all over me and he's got me and even though it's just five minutes it's five minutes are enough and it's it's just a place where you can just get lost and you can just forget about everything that's going on and you can just breathe. And I just, that's what I love about it. And, you know, continuing to sing throughout all of this, even though you would think sinus infections would prevent you from doing that. Um, it's just another testament to, you know, how great our God is and he's not letting this stop me from something that I really enjoy doing. A lot of people would ask me, how do you still believe in God and how, how do you still go to church and all this stuff when this has happened to you and when you know you have all these surgeries and he could just fix you and how are you not mad at him that he doesn't? And my answer to that was always kind of like, oh, you know, just kind of brushed it off. But I had somebody ask me one day and it was kind of at the point where I was like, kind of tired of people asking me that and I said I don't think that it is God punishing me I said I think it's just what he has decided for me and it's not the lack of God it's the presence of evil and this is how the devil has tried to tear me down and how he's tried to get in my head and I have to choose not to let him do that and the only way to do that is to rely more on God not push him away So this experience and my health, I think, has made me see just how kind and loving he is. And even though bad things do happen and it really sucks, it happens. And, you know, we have two choices. It can be miserable and down on our luck about it, or we can decide to face it head on. And I chose to face it head on and face it head on with Christ. And I think that in these times where we feel hopeless with whether it's a medical problem, whether it's a financial problem, you know, whatever you're going through, in times that you feel hopeless, you need to turn to the creator of hope. To me, praising God is not just for the good times when, you know, everything's going good and when you want to say how great he is and how awesome he is. Not that he's not those things because he is, 
But praise is also crying out to God and saying, you know, where are you? Like, I need your help. Come help me. And praise is being angry at him and, and letting him know that because that's what God wants. He wants a relationship with us. And praise is the way to get that relationship. I also think that you praise and worship God with your life, that it's not just a song, it's not just on a Sunday, it's, it's your lifestyle and it's the way you live and it's the way you choose to treat people and the way that you choose to handle things that are thrown at you. So if I truly want to praise God, which I do, I have to remember that in my everyday walk and when I'm in that doctor's office and when I'm, you know, in that surgery room and when I'm in post-op and when I'm getting blood work and when I'm at the pharmacist picking up the medication that I really don't want to take and, you know, all of that is praise. So what should we do when we find ourselves in a hopeless situation? Number one... We should learn how to trust God. Number two, we should learn how to praise God. I really think that's one of the ways that we can take a good relationship with God to a great relationship with God. Now, as we close today, our worship team's gonna come out and they're gonna guide us through a final song called It Is Well. And I'm gonna invite them out and they're gonna get ready here while I kind of set up this final moment. Um, there's a, a powerful song, an amazing story behind this song as well. And, and I think that's a statement that we can capture, that we can hold on to no matter what we're going through. Even if things are going great, even if things are going terrible, we all can say, it is well. It is well with my soul. So Haley is going to guide us through this song today. And what I want you to do while she's leading us. And while we're singing with her, I want you to kind of turn this, this next five minutes into an opportunity like she talked about in that video. Like this is an opportunity for you to praise God, no matter what you're going through, no matter what situation you're in, no matter what you have to face tomorrow, you can praise God in the midst of it. And you can still say, no matter what, it's well, it's well with my soul. So would you please stand with me and while we sing today, I want you to think about what praise means to Haley in the midst of her situation and what praise can mean to you in the midst of your situation. So worship team, let's sing. So that's a statement we all need to learn how to say. It is well, no matter what we're going through, good or bad hopeful or hopeless, it is well with my soul. Now, how many of you would honestly say that you need to learn how to say that? You need to learn how to praise God before he works in your life. Anybody honestly say that? All right. Um, I've asked today for Haley to close us out in prayer and to pray for those of us who say, like, I got to learn how to do that. So, um, Haley... Would you pray for us today? Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you um, are just a good father. Lord, in times where we feel hopeless, um, we can just be reminded that you are the creator of hope and that even though it may seem hopeless, with you, we always have hope. Father, I know that it can be difficult 
to praise you when we don't know what you're doing and when it feels like everything is just crumbling around us. But Lord, I ask that you would just be with everyone in this room who's feeling like they're in a hopeless situation or feeling like they want to cry out to you and they want to praise you in the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I just pray, Lord, that you would give us the opportunity to praise you and that when that opportunity arises, we would be bold and we would boldly approach your throne and we would cry out to you and that we would praise you no matter what. Thank you for who you are. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Now, before you leave, one final thing. Um, Haley's been on our worship team for the past several years and for some really like unknown reason, she's decided to move to Jacksonville and like live up there and find a church up there and all that stuff, which I don't think Jacksonville's too far to drive every week, but you know, that's just me. Um, anyway, so she is transitioning and going to be moving up there and she just passed her nursing exam and she's going to be, <laughs> hopefully you never need to see her in her profession, but if so, you're in good hands. Um, so what I wanted us to do is I want us to pray for her. Um, before she goes. And um, so we're grateful. You have family here, so you'll be back. We'll get to see you again. So we're, we're grateful for that. But let's pray for Haley on her journey. So God, I'm so grateful for Haley and Lord, you just working in her life and in her story to impact our lives. And God, you are the great physician. And so we ask that you would supernaturally heal her. Lord, we know that you're the only one that has the ability to do that. And sometimes you do that in supernatural means, and sometimes you choose to use medicine, you use doctors and nurses, and, and the advancements we've made in, in, in that part of, of our understanding. And yet, God, we trust you in however you choose to do that. I'm so grateful for her story and her perspective and how she's learned how to praise you in the midst of a chronic issue. So Lord, thank you for how you're working in her life and how the light that, that she shines for you is impacting us and other people. And Lord, we know that that will happen in Jacksonville as well. So I pray that you would provide her, Lord, just an amazing job up there. And I pray that you would provide her an amazing church family and that she would miss us terribly and come back and see us, you know, every once in a while. But God, that you'd provide her a place to plug in and give of the resources you've given her. We pray your blessings on her today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thanks for being here today, everybody. Please come back next week. We encourage you to invite somebody else to come back next week. Have a good Sunday.